Welcome to Social Design Insights, the weekly podcast that brings you the leading voices of the social design movement. I am Emiliano Gandolfi, your co-host, and I'm here as usual with my co-host, Eric Kessel. Hey everyone, welcome to the show, good to be here. So we're here today again investigating does design create politics or vice versa? I think it's an extremely relevant question and some that we are really investigating with some of the most inspiring thinkers in design and also somehow in political activism. And one of them is certainly Kale Lazna, the founder of Adbusters. He's a filmmaker, an author, and magazine editor, and an activist. And he's certainly a person that really inspired, I think, the activist movement through design over the past years. We were really lucky uh, to get Kyle on the show uh, just because of the influence that Adbusters has had over the last couple of decades. If you're not familiar with that organization or that name, you're certainly familiar with their work. They were the group that kind of started the uh, initial original meme behind Occupy Wall Street. They have been the creative force behind Buy Nothing Day and Digital Detox Week and a lot of the sort of cultural resistance projects that have gained a lot of attention over the last couple of decades. Sure. And what I think is really relevant is that he's saying that uh, possibly uh, design, especially graphic design and communication, is completely pervaded by the idea of consumerism. I mean, usually designers are asked to do things commercially. He's saying that we should also use that creativity to do something that has a social value and also to revert uh, the ways in which consumerism is, uh, is somehow manipulating us. So part of his work is really to expose how consumerism is actually acting on our own brains. And the other part is actually a creative plea for designers all over the world to take these tools and just revert them in favor of society rather than against society. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love how he positions it as an act of resistance. And, you know, all of this, this consumerist messaging is really the sort of background noise of civilization at this point. And we are bombarded daily by these messages. And now in the age of smartphones, uh, you know, it never leaves our side. We're, we're constantly hammered with this stuff. So do designers have a role or responsibility in creating their own messages and pushing back against this sort of messaging in a way that's more humanistic and, and perhaps more sympathetic with nature and each other and, and those sorts of things. So this, just to say that we're great fans of Kalle, so let's leave him the word, and he's definitely more uh, charismatic and uh, evocative <laughs> than we are. So <laughs> He certainly is. Kalle, welcome to the show, um, and thank you for agreeing to spend some time with us and answer some questions about ad busters and design and politics and, and all of our favorite subjects. I'm delighted. Excellent. Excellent. Um, we're wondering if we could just kind of start at the beginning. We know that Adbusters has been around for a long time. How did it originally germinate? What were the, the sort of provocations that led to the, to the creation of the magazine, the creation of the movement? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've been around for almost 30 years now. And the way we started was... Uh, we started with a fight, a fight with the forest industry here in British Columbia and, and uh, the Pacific Northwest. This was back in 1989. <laughs> I can hardly believe I'm saying that it's such a long time ago. But, but they, uh, the forest industry was starting to have some PR problems. They were cutting down a few too many trees and the people were getting a little bit angry at them. So they decided to have a, a multi-million dollar ad campaign and then for a few months on TV, on, on bus stop shelters, full-page ads in newspapers. They were telling British Columbians, 
you have nothing to worry about. We're doing a fantastic job managing your forests. You have forests forever was their slogan. And this, this slogan especially, and, and this whole campaign really made a lot of us angry. So some designers and artists and, and environmentalists, we got together and came up with our own 30-second TV spot, went to the TV stations, said, okay, we want to buy some airtime and, and, and put our message out uh, the same way that the forest industry is. And, you know, lo and behold, uh, the TV stations refused to sell us the airtime. They looked at the ad and they said, Kale, 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 this is not an ad. This is uh, political propaganda. We can't run this. And, and they refused to sell us any airtime. And, and, and this made me really angry because, you know, I was born in Estonia where for 50 years we weren't able to talk back against the, the government. And now, 50 years later, I'm here in the cradle of democracy and I can't talk back against the corporations. So, yeah, so we started a newsletter and we went on, on, on radio and we just launched a campaign. And, and then the, the newsletter had a lot of traction and then turned into a magazine. And, and then, first of all, it was in British Columbia and then Canada-wide and then North America-wide. And, and now, as you probably know, Adbusters is on newsstands all around the world. I think it's it's fabulous to you know to go back to that moment. So it really shows uh, the activist vocation uh, that started this. But differently from other uh, you know activist campaign, this became a, a an overall understanding and discussion on how to do activism and what can be the strategies to revert the systems of power. So w when did that shift happen? For me, that shift happened a long, long time ago. It happened around the time of, uh, of the, the Vietnam War, you know, when I, I was traveling around the world, I, I had a, an advertising company there in, in, in uh, Tokyo for a few years, and, uh, and then I, I used that the money and, and, and traveled around the world, and especially the Vietnam War somehow politicized me, and, and I woke up to the fact that, uh, that most of us are being deluded by the media. We, most of us don't really know what's going on, and and if you uh, if you want to win any fights, then you have to uh, you have to become a media activist. So, so that became uh, something that I was doing for about 20 years, making documentary films. I was a documentary filmmaker for 20 years before I started Adbusters. Yeah, so this kind of a media activism and and being sort of an angry guy who 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 can't stand you know powerful people telling me how the world is is is, is has to operate. That's something that I've had for a long long time. Before the show, Kelly, uh, Emiliano and I were talking about, you know, the, the influence of Adbusters' work and um, we're pretty certain that, that of our audience members, everybody's seen your work at some point, even if they didn't know that it was the work of Adbusters. And we think that the, probably the, the most visible thing was probably the Occupy Wall Street meme. And a lot of people out there, everybody knows Occupy Wall Street, but might not understand the role that Adbusters played in the, the catalyzing of that movement. Could you take us, what was that, the 2007, uh, I think. What ha what happened with Occupy Wall Street? How did you guys get involved with that? How, how did you play a role? You know, that was a very heady time. There was uh, the Arab Spring was happening and Mubarak had just been deposed in Egypt. And, and, and uh, in our brainstorming sessions here at Adbusters, we were saying, well, hell, if they can do it in, in Egypt, then surely we can also pull off some sort of a major, uh, major event here in, in North America. And we sort of said to ourselves, well, what's the, the craziest, uh, the wildest thing that we can possibly do? And we decided that it was uh, uh, this idea that we can go 
to the iconic heart of global capitalism, which is Wall Street, and, and occupy it in some way, in some symbolic, metaphoric way to occupy it. And we liked that idea, and then we, we came up with a, a poster of a, of a ballerina on a bull that felt like it had uh, just the right feeling that, that we wanted to portray. And uh, and we, we put that poster in the middle of uh, of an issue of Adbusters uh, a few months before Occupy Wall Street actually happened. And then we went on the, you know, we went on the social media. We 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 launched the hashtag Occupy Wall Street. We started the website OccupyWallStreet.org, and and we started talking to some of the the people on the ground there in New York, you know. And it absolutely took us by by surprise when uh, on September the 17th, the the day that we chose to for this to happen, that uh, that so many people suddenly decided to to go ahead and actually do it. And then we were even even more shocked and surprised by the fact that uh, that after uh, it happened in New York, you know, then all of a sudden it started happening in Chicago and, and and Los Angeles, and suddenly here in my own hometown in Vancouver, all of a sudden there was an Occupy Wall Street, and and within a few weeks of of, uh, of Zuccotti Park, you know, there was 1,500 uh, occupations happening all over the world, and 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 this was an incredible lesson for us in 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 being very, very bold in the way we think, and also the power of, uh, of the social media to launch global grassroots uh, campaigns. So, Kal, I had a few friends that actually were part of Occupy. So I really had, the, I was, you know, I lived it a bit through Europe, but in, in, when I came to the US, I really, uh, had the, the, the chance to experience the democratic strength that it had and really how people would come together from, from all different professions and will just, you know, sit there and try to learn together. However, what always struck me also is that in that time, it was a bit the beginning of the power of a certain social media. And over the last years, we've seen that the same power that was a very democratic and horizontal power of the net and of social media is starting to be used by the more traditional power forces and currently even by the current U.S. president to force a certain interpretation of facts. So how do you position, you know, your strategies within the risk also of having counter strategies that are done by institutions and that use, you know, your same way of pushing content in, in, in a democratic way horizontally, but in a completely distorted way? Yes, well, you know, I think in my opinion, the, the political left uh, has been in the doldrums now for about two or three generations, about uh, about 30 years or so. The political left, we keep on dashing off into the streets and shouting the same old slogans, and 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 we haven't uh, had any really breakthrough moments, with a few exceptions like Occupy Wall Street and and then maybe Black Lives Matter. And then, you know, we have had some 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 great moments, but most of the time we we just dash off into the streets and do the same old thing, which is getting very 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 boring. So so uh, I think that we have to uh, have fresh, out of the box, new ways of thinking how to use the internet, which is the most powerful revolutionary tool ever invented, you know, and, and, uh, and I must admit that for the moment, you know, with uh, all the political, uh, the, all the right-wing political semi-fascist uh, par- parties that are rising up in Europe and, and Brexit and, of course, Donald Trump now in, Amer- in America, you know, we have really dropped the ball, you know, this, uh, this kind of, uh, we've never really jumped over the dead body of the old left, we're still stuck in the past, and I think in the future, you know, we have to figure out how to how to do things in a, in a wholly different way and and uh, uh, and I think that occupy wall street was one example of 
of suddenly doing something a little bit differently. Some of the rituals and some of the, the things that we did in, in, our, uh, in our occupations, you know, the way we used microphones and the, uh, and the way we had these meetings and, and the way we popped out every now and again and, and did stuff in the streets and, and the way we had lone wolves prowling around cities doing interesting things. I think that Occupy Wall Street was one example of, of the sort of stuff that we can do once we jump over the dead body of the old left. Do you get the sense that some of those strategies have actively been co-opted? I, I guess this is building on Emiliano's last question, but Occupy Wall Street and, and Adbusters are really a sort of pioneer in terms of using social media and, and spreading viral messages and, you know, creating this sort of culture jamming network. And, you know, week by week, we get more information about how those tactics have been used in recent pivotal global political decisions like Brexit and the Donald Trump election and, and things like that. And you almost get the sense that they're, they're kind of taken from your playbook, right? I mean, they're sort of taking these strategies and, and filling the social media waves with, you know, these, these corruptive messages, Yeah. I have a feeling that, uh, sure, I mean, we're constantly learning from each other, you know, all successful activism, you know, teaches uh, all sides, you know, how to do things. So I'm sure that they learn something from us. But at the same time, they seem to have more passion and more spirit. And, and certainly during the election of Donald Trump, you know, they had more fun than we did, you know. So there was, they had something going for themselves that, that we didn't. You know, my big message to to, to artists and, and designers and, and visual creatives is that, uh, you know, that in the past we've had a lot to answer for. You know, we were the ones who created this, you know, this dysfunctional consumer culture and the, the advertising and the brands and the products. And, and, you know, we set the mood and the feeling and the, the tone of this sort of uh, con uh, this consumer culture that's now killing us. And, and now I think we have the power to reverse all that. You know, we have the power to, you know, the, we, we, the, the visual uh, people, you know, we have a, the power to create a new tone, a new feeling, a new, a new structure of feeling, if you like. And so what I would like to tell the, any, any of these uh, artists and designers and visual creatives that are, are, are listening to me right now, I want to tell you that you are some of the most powerful people in the world. You have the power to, 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 to launch campaigns and to, to change the, 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 the way that people feel in the 21st century. And I, and, and I think that those kind of breakthrough things that we artists and designers can do, I think that we can, uh, we can beat this, uh, this sort of uh, fascist, uh, populist, uh, right-wing thing that's popping up now all over the world. And because you just made this um, beautiful plea, you know, to the young generations of creatives uh, all over the world, uh, what, what would you think could be, you know, the next big challenge, the next aspect to challenge in our society? Well, here at Adbusters, we're, we just, we're launching a, a new website called thebillionpeople.org. My own gut feeling is that the vast number of people, the vast number of the six, seven, eight billion people of us, that that we actually have the ideas. We 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 know the direction that uh, that we want the world to go in, but but we are constantly being uh, somehow knocked back by the the, the current uh, you know world uh, power structure. And so yeah, so I th I think it's just a question of 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 getting a vast number of people together on the internet and and learning how to launch global rituals this this idea that that we on the left have to you know jump over all that uh, that stuff that we've done now for the last 20 30 years and and start coming up with a a completely fresh crop of, of rituals for you know for may the first you know next year instead of having the usual kind of lefty uh, kind of stuff that has gone on for year after year after year which is totally boring and nobody listens to it anymore to actually on may the first to come up with a 
some sort of an uprising of all the working people in the world, something new and fresh that actually, you know, knocks the world for a loop. It's some sort of a creative breakthrough there to, to do something like Occupy Wall Street on May the 1st. And then to do it again on, on September the 17th, you know, the 6th or the 7th anniversary of Occupy Wall Street. And, and then to do it again during Christmas time and half a dozen times every year to, to, to create these global rituals that take the world by surprise. We hope you're enjoying this interview with Kelly Lawson of Adbusters. And we hate to break up the conversation, but we've got to take a quick break. When we come back, Kelly is going to break down some examples of his vision for global rituals. Welcome back to Social Design Insights. We're back to our interview with Kale Lazn, filmmaker, author, activist, and co-founder with Bill Schmalz of the legendary magazine Adbusters. After hearing about their origins and procedures, we will be looking more closely at the campaigns and at the new global rituals that Adbusters is proposing to challenge capitalism. So what's an, uh, what's an example? I mean, can you share with us an idea and give us a, a sort of visualization of, are, are we talking about more spontaneous demonstrations like Occupy Wall Street? Or, or are we talking about something more cohesive? I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful idea. Can you, can you paint it for us? Uh, we're just at the moment brainstorming about what we can do on uh, November the 11th. So November the 11th, as you know, is the day when, when all the, the you know, in, in, in the UK and in Australia and New Zealand and Canada, you know, we sort of wear red poppies and, and celebrate the fact that all these young people, you know, through, uh, through World War I and World War II and all these other wars, how they have died and to, you know, to keep us free. And we've always found that there's something very hypocritical about that. And, and, and these very same uh, countries where we wear the red poppy, you know, at the same time, you know, we're selling huge amounts of arms to, to other people and we're the biggest arms dealers in the world. So we are trying to create a, a, a huge uh, sort of campaign where people buy the poppy, but then they paint one of the, the petals of the poppy black. And so people, hmm. instead of just running around with, with red poppies, they suddenly send a signal to the world that there's something strange going on here. And, and this can be a discussion starter. And this can be the beginning of a, of a new way of thinking about how we feel every November the 11th when we celebrate these wars. And I think that these kind of symbolic uh, moments, very similar to to this idea that we had with Occupy Wall Street, where we go to the iconic heart of capitalism and occupy it, and, and let's go to the let's go to the poppies and paint them black, and or, on you know maybe on May the first instead of doing the usual running around in the streets, maybe we can start doing some artwork on all the ATMs of the world. You know why can't we hmm. start putting black spots or, or or out of order signs on ATMs? Why can't we? take a hundred thousand or a million ATMs around the world and as a global black spot collective, you know, that we're trying to, why, why can't we have, you know, a million people around the world all deturning and changing the way that people feel when they try to get some money out of the ATM. So I, I think that, uh, that this sort of a new, deeper, much deeper, you know, dealing with the systemic problems that the world has and trying to, to find creative ways of, of pushing back against those, uh, those systemic problems that the world has. I think this is some sort of a hint of the direction that I think we have to go in. 
And one of your also very uh, stronger campaign was the Buy Nothing Day, that of course is a direct uh, criticism uh, to the, the current consumeristic uh, approach of our societies. Yeah. Uh, could you maybe tell us something more about this? Yeah, well, the Buy Nothing Day was, um, you know, apart from that, that campaign that we had uh, way back in the early days about uh, against the forest industry, Buy Nothing Day was our next big uh, success. You know, it was a it was a formula that we've been following ever since. You know, uh, timing is everything for a successful campaign. Back in 1993, when we launched Buy Nothing Day, then it was a moment where, where people were enjoying consumer culture and nobody had any idea that consumer culture had a dark side. Uh, and those three words, Buy Nothing Day, suddenly woke people up to the fact that, that, that yes, you know, excessive consumerism is somehow the, the root of all our uh, ecological and, and, and possibly our, even our psychological and political problems. And, yeah, so it was a wildly successful campaign that uh, as soon as we came up with the posters and as, as soon as we had our first Buy Nothing Day, then, then all of a sudden, spontaneously, there was a Buy Nothing Day. In, 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 I remember that one of the first ones was actually in Portland, Oregon, and then I mean, suddenly it popped up in Melbourne, Australia. And, and by the time we were doing it for the third time in, in 1996, then there was, uh, there was 60 countries all around the world that were suddenly all having their Buy Nothing Day. And then... Uh, Another great uh, breakthrough moment came when we changed the date from September to, to Black Friday. This one day, uh, you know, just at the launch of the, that crazy consumerist season in America, when we changed by nothing day to, to, to the last uh, Friday of, of November, then all of a sudden it took off big time in, uh, in America. And uh, I think it played a huge role in, in uh, in changing the way that people think about consumerism. And I think it had a huge role in, in the way that a lot of uh, artists and designers you know, thought about what they're doing you know, for, for designers and artists and people like that to realize that, that they are so complicit in, in the creation of this consumer culture that we're in. And, and many, many designers started now coming up with all kinds of uh, anti-consumerist ideas and, and ways to, people, to wake people up, not just to buy a product, but, but how to convince people not to buy a product. And it was a, it was a nice moment for, for, for creative people around the world as well. Was it the same with the um, Digital Detox Day? I know that's another one of your very successful campaigns, getting people to question their relationship with technology and their, their devices. Yeah, yeah. Well, at that time, yeah, it was, again, it was just uh, the moment when people were were, were waking up uh, to the fact that they were, at that time, of course, when we started, we started off with TV turnoff week <laughs> at the time before the, the digital revolution started washing over us. And, and, and at that time, you know, people were really addicted to their TVs, just, uh, just the same way that they're addicted to their, their iPhones now. We're actually thinking of, of relaunching that again in a big way because I have a feeling that uh, the moment is ripe. I think a lot of people realize that, uh, that there is, a, there is a sort of a very special kind of a mind going on right now with uh, especially with young people uh, and this addiction we have to our screens and i think this is a moment for us to to suddenly find out whether we have the the, the power and the self-discipline to you know to put that iphone away for a week and and see how that feels perfect but not my iphone <laughs> No, 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 and and people need their the devices exactly. to listen to this show. So, <laughs> well, let them let them go hiking for a week. I think that they they can we can do more good for the world if we if we take some breaks. I mean, what you just said, this argument that you just came up with that we need this and we need that. I mean, that's basically the argument that has allowed the the Google and 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 and, and all those uh, and Facebook and and Twitter. You know, that's allowed them to to create a, a, a mental environment 
in, in which they totally dominate. And if you want to be dominated by, by, the, by the social media to the extent that we are now, then, then yeah, then, then keep on looking at your screen. But if you want to liberate yourself, then, then go for a hike. Yeah. Exactly. I hope, you know, more and more of our listeners will take that advice and eventually listen to your interview while they go through the hike. So <laughs> they'll be inspired, elevated in height and also ready maybe uh, for a new cultural challenge that we're contemporarily facing. Yeah, I think it's important to interrupt. I think that it's uh, it's one thing, you know, I think that the, the problem is that we've integrated the, the, the iPhone is so much part of our hands now that somehow it's there, it's there in the morning when you wake up, it's there while you're sleeping, it's, it's people when they walk around the streets, it's, it's there. It's, it's, so I think the, the real trick is to, to create uh, some uh, moments when, when you don't have it in your hand, you know, just to sort of sit quietly in a room without your iPhone and see how that feels or to go on a digital detox week and, and just do something completely different and not to worry about what you're missing if you don't hold that, that thing in your hand. Uh, Kelly, as a really last question, uh, I was, uh, you know, thinking that what you're saying is, is so powerful and essential. And uh, of course, uh, you know, your your campaigns had a, a strong impact in, in a certain part of the world. But have you ever challenged situations like in countries like India or China, in which they're still, you know, they're still in their a wave of uh, production and they're still expanding and they're actually discovering just now what what it means uh, wealth and what it means uh, to have yeah. uh, you know a fixed job yeah yeah no i think about that a lot and and uh, i think that uh, and that's part of the the sort of strategy behind that uh, billionpeople.org website that we're, we're launching now it's this idea that you know if you can you know up to now a lot of our campaigns are just somehow you know, sort of they exist and they triumph and they do stuff in this sort of so-called Anglo-Saxon world, so to speak, or in Europe as well. But I think it's really important. Like if we can, if we can get, you know, uh, five or 10 million people all working together on, on, on some of the campaigns that can be launched. And, and if 2 million of those people are, are from India and, and, and another 2 million of them are from China. And it seems to me that, you know, if we can get vast numbers of people together, you know, on, on the internet, and if they can brainstorm together and, and come up with campaigns that mean something to them as well as to us, you know, in Europe or us in, in, in Canada or us in, in America, you know, then all of a sudden we will have this, uh, we, you know, we will stop this kind of a situation that we've had for the last 20, 30 years where, where we, uh, you know, we in the first world are always at the cutting edge of everything. And, and those poor, poor people in India, you know, well, they're just catching up to us. Well, Kalyan, thank you very much uh, for your words. I really hope uh, that it will be contagious, as as you're mentioning. Uh, of course, uh, com communication and, and design have a very important role. It was very nice talking to you. Thank you very much. We'd like to thank our guest of the week, Kali Lassen of Adbusters, whose quest to change the structure of feeling in the world is clearly not over. Next week, we'll be moving on to Buenos Aires to continue our discussion of design and politics. If you have a chance to pick up a copy of Adbusters, it's available at reputable and irreputable newsstands all over the world. But we'll also provide some further details about the work of Adbusters on our website at currystonedesignprize.com. Social Design Insights is an initiative of the Currystone Design Prize and the Currystone Foundation. If you haven't already, please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the latest news on social impact design.